Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. So I think it's quarter after four, and I think we should start soon. Everybody, just before we we start with our Bible study, let's do a quick prayer. Just please bow your head. Oh, Father, great God and Lord Almighty, what a wonderful day today is. Uh, what a beautiful Sabbath day. And we already heard a great message, Father, preparing us for Passover. And now we're going to go on with the same theme. We're going to try to expand our knowledge a little bit about this great and awesome holiday, the Passover. So we ask you, Father, one more time that you be with us, that you'll open our minds and our hearts, and Father, and you will, you will equip us how to handle this knowledge in a proper way, not to puff us up, but to equip us to be a humble servants, Father, of your gospel. So we thank you for everything. Thank you for Pastor Agent and his hard work, and now, Father, just thank you for all the brethren that are here at this time, and we ask you all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I feel a little bit shaky here after such a wonderful message. Hopefully as I will get into it, you know, my, my feelings will change a little bit. So I want to I wanna talk about the Passover. Passover is just a few weeks from, from today, actually three weeks and a day from today. And we'll be celebrating two weeks? Two weeks, okay. Two weeks, okay. Two weeks and a day from today will be celebrating one of the oldest holiday ever celebrated in this in this world in this society it's one of the oldest no any other holiday in any culture on this planet that's got its roots going thousands of thousands of years back even if you just go to the exodus story right here in exodus 12 it's one of the oldest there's no anyone like it no christmas no easter like passover and we will see as we study this, this Passover holiday, how deep its roots are. It's going all the way back to Genesis. We wouldn't have a New Testament Passover. We wouldn't have an Old Testament Passover. It would happen for one huge event that happened right there in Genesis. And I, Genesis 15. But before we go to Genesis 15, let's actually open our Bible first to Exodus chapter 12 here. Exodus chapter 12 here. And what I would suggest as we, we're going to flip through the Bible, like, you know, always. So keep your, put something, a marker here in Exodus chapter 12. And then keep it in Genesis chapter 15. And we also spend some time in Hebrew. But at least here in Exodus chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. So let's start from Exodus chapter Chapter 12 here. It's just, as I said, how important is this day? And here at verse Hebrew chapter, Exodus chapter 12, and look at verse 40. Hebrew chapter 12 and verse 40. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. I apologize. Thank you, Abba. So now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt, and we have a very exact date here was was 430 years and it came to pass that after the specific number of years after this 430 years to the day and to the hour it came to pass at the end of 430 years on the very same day if some of you have a king james version will say well the self same day it came to pass that all the armies of the lord went out from the land of egypt and verse 42 and here, right, 42, point number one. 
It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So this is a night of solemn observance to the Lord. That's number one. And number two, this is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Why God gave such a command here? Why, you know, important events happen on this particular day? And to find out here, we have to go all the way to Genesis chapter 15. So please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. And actually we'll start at Genesis chapter 13. Just to get a little bit of background history there. Actually, please turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, and let's pick up the reading here from verse 13. Genesis 15 and verse 13. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. We have a little different numbers. Here. Not 430, but 430 years. We'll come to the numbers, to the difference a little bit later in my presentation. But now, let's let just focus on this chapter. And in verse 14, And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. And now as for you, you shall go to your father in peace, and you shall be very at good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we know right away that the message that Abraham receiving here is at least 400, way, 400 years before the actual Exodus story. And God is already relating it to the Egypt and to Egyptian slavery. Let's just back up a little bit here in Genesis chapter 13. Just we, before we go deeper into the study of this chapter 15 here. Just to get a more background story here. In Genesis chapter 13, and just look at verse 11 here. We know when, that there was a point in time when Lot was separated from, from Abram here. In verse 11, the Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Huge difference. Lot decided to dwell in a town, decided in a city. Life would be much easier. There would be way, way more entertainment there in a big city. They tried to wander if it's animals, right? So that's what happened. Eventually, over the time, as we move to chapter 14, something horrible happened to Lot. There is a local war, as always, you know, in our human history. We always fight when we can resolve our issues. So there is a few kings and another other kings, and a lot is between the conflict. So we move to the verse. Now let's start with verse 12, where it says right away that they also took Lot, Abram's brother, son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So Lot is in trouble. He lost everything. He's in trouble. Verse 17, then one of the one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the turban tree of Mamre. The Amorite, brother of Askel, and brother of Honor, and there were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And in verse 15 it says, And he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them, and pursued them as far as Hobab, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the, and the people. And as we read here, verse 70, we just keep it. But suddenly, here in this account, in this story flow, something strange appears. Verse 18. After all of these events, in verse 18, and from nowhere, there is an individual up here, which you know, we know his name, Melchizedek. And verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of God most high. My question would be, who is this individual? At this time, God just asked one man, I want you to get out of your country. And I want you to go somewhere else where I'm going to show you in your journey where to go. From nowhere, a king and, you know, the priest of God most high appear in front of Abraham. And it's more than that. At the end of verse 20 here, when, you know, Melchizedek blessing is blessing Abraham. Abraham, he says, and he gave him a tithe of all. Abraham gave him a tithe of all. Who was this individual? And I know there are so many different ideas out there, right? Some people say that, I just hear here weeks ago. Somebody told me that this individual might be Shem. Technically, it's very possible. Shem was alive when Abraham actually was born. But if he's just a regular mortal human being, then I want you to look at this. Because when you, when you started Melchizedek, when you try to break this name, it's not just the name. It's not about the name. Melchizedek is not a name. Melchizedek is a title. So when you look at this Hebrew word, Melchizedek, it's actually a title, right? It's combined of two words. The first one is Melek, M-E-L-E-K, which means in Hebrew, king. And the other part is Tzedek, T-S-E-D-E-Q, T-S-E-D-E-Q, which means righteous. So now when you combine these two words together, you have king of righteousness. Now mark your place here, because we're going to come back here. Go all the way to the New Testament. King of righteousness. As we're going to study who this individual is. Go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1 here. Paul gets right into it. He says, for this, king of righteousness, or Melchizedek, and he actually translates for us, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who made, who made Abraham returning from the slaughter of, of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First, being translated king of righteousness, and then also King of Salem, meaning king of peace. My question again is, if you think that this individual was a human being, I want to challenge you to find, find me any Bible anywhere that you know any human being ever carried title as this. King of righteousness and king of peace. I wanna, if that's Shem, I want to challenge you. If there is any other human being who will go by this title, King of Righteousness and King of Peace. There is none. Only Jesus Christ. We'll come to this a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Hold your place in Hebrew because we'll come back here too. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and just, I'll, I'll, I'll just pick one verse. We can go through the book of Isaiah alone. But I'm just going to pick one here. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is even, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Was any, anywhere in the Bible title like that ever applied to David? Or Solomon, or Samuel, or Elijah, or Jeremiah. Never ever. Who is this individual? King of righteousness and king of peace. The priest, the highest, the, the priest most high from God, right here up here from nowhere, 
Let's go to Hebrew. And on top of that, Hebrew, look at verse 7. What Paul is writing. Hebrew, Hebrew 7, and chapter 7, and verse 7. Paul keep, keeps going on here, and he says, Now beyond all contradiction, the laser is blessed by the better. Think about it. If that was just a human being, who was greater at that time than Abraham? Who was greater? No one. So what he's saying that the greater blessed Abraham. Who was, who was, who was this Melchizedek? Verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Who is this thing? There's no Levitical priesthood. He lives. Go back a bit to verse 4. Actually, start with verse 3. Just speaking, who is this guy? Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continual. Who is individual? Some people say, yeah, just basically he didn't have any, any documents to prove about his genealogy. Or really, if you go to Levitical priesthood, everything's got to be in order. You can't be a priest if your genealogy, genealogy, genealogy cannot be proven. You cannot exist and serve as a priest or as a king. You have to have a proven, proven genealogy. So who is, who, is, who is this guy? And just keep reading. And now verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth, tenth of the spoils. And I have to stop here because this translation of spoils is actually, does not what really reflects what had happened there. Because when you think about spoils, we think about, you know, spoils of war. Abraham go to the war, he won a battle, he grabbed all this wealth there from all these nations, and he came back and he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. This is not true, and we're going to prove it. Just go back to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, and look here. As we read the last part of verse 20. And he gave him a tithe of all. Verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. You give me the people, you take all the goods, all the spoils of war. But verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, that you should say, I have made Abram rich. When Abram gave a tithe, it was just the spoil of war. He gave the tithe of the best that he was at his possession at the time. The best of his own blessed wealth that he received from God, the Father. Just to clarify all, this, all, all of these things, right? So who was this, this guy that Abraham gave a tithe? Can I collect a taxes for you, from you? I don't have that authority. You know, if I'm a dictatorship, if a country is, then I can collect taxes in one way or the other. But who can claim this right to collect from somebody a tithe? Only God. Not human being. There is no priesthood that was exist, existing at this time. And suddenly this Melchizedek come up. And Abraham is, is ready, is willing to give him a tithe. He's got a full understanding of what's happening here. He's ready to give him a tithe. Who, who got the authority? Hold your place here. Leviticus chapter 25.
Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to have just one verse here. 25 and verse 23 here. Look for what God is saying to Israelites. He says, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. The land is mine. It's not yours. It's mine. For you are the strangers and sojourners with me. So you don't have this claim. You don't have this right to your land. I have this right to this land, and I'm going to give it to you. To clarify a little bit later, just flip a few pages to chapter 27. Twenty-seven, and look at verse thirty. The same book, Leviticus chapter twenty-seven. Now, and look at verse thirty. And God says, "And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of or, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. He claims the ownership of it. It's the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord." And later, if we go to Numbers, Numbers chapter eighteen. Numbers chapter 18, we get here more clarifications about the tithes. Numbers chapter 18 and verse 21. Now, Lord says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. You see what I'm trying to say here? God gives them authority. It's just by God. That he approves something like that. That I, I'm giving you these people who have my authority to collect tithes on my behalf. And even these people, the Levites, as we go down to verse 26 here. It says, speak thus to the Levites and say to them. When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given to you from them as your inheritance. Then even you Levites, then you shall offer up a heap offering of it to the Lord a tenth of a tithe. Even they were required to pay a tithe. So they're going to remember the lesson. Who is the owner and giver of all these blessings? Go back to Hebrew now. Hebrew chapter 7. Hebrew chapter 7. And now read it again, verse 4. Now it's going to make a little bit more sense now. And now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is from their brethren, don't they have came from the loins of Abraham? But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. So you see where I'm going with it? Who was this Melchizedek? Where did he get all this authority? Was he just a human being and Abraham just decided to give him a tithe? No. His title was the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest most high. Who was this individual? Now, verse 7, just keep reading, just finish it. Now, beyond all contradictions, the laser is blessed by the better. Here, the mortal man receives tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes to Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the lines of the father when Melchizedek met them. Who is this individual? We need to figure that out. Once and for all. Is no one, in my opinion, <clears throat> than Jesus Christ. Let me stop here for a, for a second or for a minute here. <clears throat> if any comments, any questions, if any disagreements. <coughs> excuse me. Now is your chance to speak. Or hold your breath forever. Very good. And even when you look at the translations, the spoil, it means best of the heap. That's what it's actually saying there in, uh, in a Greek. I don't know why the translator put that. Spoil, right? It just said 
bad connotations when you read it. So everybody agrees with me? At least anybody who disagrees with me? We can go on? All right, let's go on. Go back to Genesis 14. The reason why I'm doing it is just to show you how how important this individual was there in this whole account that's going to happen right in front of our eyes as we're going to go through all of it. So after all of these events, he gave him a tithe of all, and there's a little bit exchange there, but we skip to chapter 15. And as you remember, as I was saying before, forget about the chapter breaks. Just, just, just put a piece of paper so it's not going to distract you. Just continue the flow. Forget about the chapter breaks, okay? Because sometimes we think that, you know, who knows how much time passed from this events to the next one, right? Just keep going. After these things, which things? Whatever happened there, right? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. 15 verse 1. So you hear me before. As I said, you know, in a specific chronology of time. That when Melchizedek, the king of, of Solomon, brought bread and wine. That was exactly at the beginning of the Passover night. When Jesus Christ sat together with his disciples, when he actually, Jesus, when actually Luke is very specific, when he said that when the hour had come, exactly at the same time. And you know, we, we're going to see as we're going to go through the same chapter, chapter 15. So let's just, let's just assume from now, from now, for now, that when Melchizedek king had the bread and wine with Abraham, actually the symbols of Passover, it was just right at the beginning of the 14th. The same way as we're going to sit down and participate in the Passover on Sunday, just right after Satsa, exactly the same time. So let's keep reading. We finish verse 1, just go to verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the hair of my house is, is leisure of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one word in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And verse 15, there is a timeline. We know exactly when this event happened. Just right after sunset, they had bread and wine. Now we move into the part of the night. Then he brought him outside and said, Look. Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. You can look into the skies at the beginning of sunset or right after sunset. You may see one, two, or three stars. But you're not able to see all the beauty of all the stars. It's got to be at least through the few hours of darkness that you can enjoy seeing all this beautiful scenery of all the stars. So now we know it's just the, the night part, the night of the 14th. Look now, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. If you can't count the stars, the same thing will happen to your descendants. No one would be ever able to count them. And verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Abraham is still looking for a proof. God, give me something. I, I believe it, but, you know, show me something. Give me a proof. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know? How shall I know? How shall I know that I will inherit it? And look what happened next. As the night is over. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all this to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. What part of the day is when you sacrifice the animals? It's got to be morning or afternoon, sometimes at least during the day hours of the Passover day. Day hours of the Passover day. And as he prepared all these animals, right? As they were about to make a covenant. It was very 
popular back then in the ancient world, the way how they used to do covenants, cut the animals in pieces and walk between them. But look in, then, in verse 11, and when, the, and, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And now, you see that the Passover day is coming towards the end. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Abraham is sleeping. Hold your place here for a second and just go, go to Matthew. Hold your place. Hold your finger here. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And now look at verse 45. And now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour... There was a darkness all over the land. The timing is precise. Nothing happened out of chance. Look at, just skip down to verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared. The fear came upon them, just like on Abraham. Great fear. Saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Go back. Genesis chapter 15 here. Genesis chapter 15. And verse, let's read verse 12 again. And now when the sun was going down, it's not down yet, it's not the end of the day, just the sun was going down, just the same way how Christ was crucified. A deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, Horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram. And we read this verse, but we're going to read it again. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. God is already predicting something that's going to happen in Exodus chapter 12. Now as for you, you shall go to your father in peace. You shall be buried at good old age. But in the four generations they shall return here. For the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And just look at verse 17. That's why God gave us the details sometimes, you know. And it came to pass when? Which day are we talking about? The Passover day is over now. It's after sunset. The first day, the night to be much remembered. The first day of unleavened bread. It came to pass when the sun went down. Not going down. When the sun went down. And it was dark that behold. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. That passed between those pieces. Abraham is sleeping. God said I will perform what I promised. On the same day. On the very same day. On the self same day in King James Version. The Lord made a covenant. With Abraham. Saying and you can read. The rest of the story that is right there. How beautifully, if we pay attention to the detail, how beautifully it fits to the Passover story. How beautifully it fits to the Passover story of Jesus Christ when he had with his own disciples. And I'm not going to go through the Old Testament, you know, chapter 12 story, trying to find the chronology there, or the New Testament story. But what I, would say at the, what I said at the beginning, that the Old Testament Passover happened just because something that happened right here in Genesis 15. The New Testament Passover happened, the New Covenant happened just because of what happened here in Genesis 15. Without Genesis 15, there is no basis for all the other story to follow. That's how important this chapter is and how important Abraham was right here in Genesis 15. So, I'll give you another one minute break here. Just stop for a moment if you have any questions or comments or just come bring it up. Now is the time before we move on to something else. Is it clear for everybody? Can we see the sequence of time? Going from a day to, to sunset to sunset is not just the one day. It's not a week. It's just God is very specific to the timing in this case. Sure.
So you want me to keep going? No comments? No? So are you saying that the time that he made the covenant with Abraham was Passover? What I'm saying is started at the beginning. started from bread and wine at the beginning of the Passover, the evening, right after sunset. Continued through the day when Abraham sacrificed the animals, which was on the Passover day. But when God confirmed the covenant, when he actually walked, when he actually walked between the pieces, was the first night, the night to be much remembered, the first day of unleavened bread. When Abraham was preparing the sacrifice, as he was cutting the pieces, that was I, I, that was the day of Passover. We know that for sure. And then after the sunset, that's where God confirmed the covenant. The Passover and Christ was crucified. It's crystal clear here. Now it's verse 12. It says, as the sun was going down. But then you go to verse 17. It says, now it came to pass when the sun went down. Passover day was over. As if, that's right. Afternoon hours, that's exactly when Christ was crucified. Well, no, when Christ was on the cross. But the, the next day is the night to be. The next day is night to be. Make sense? That's the night when they leave Egypt. Some people disagree with it, but just to you know what I'm trying, how I see it in my Bible, right? So now. See it? Okay. So, are you saying that uh, some people say that the night to be much observed was, was just a figment of, of Armstrong's imagination and that he created it out of nothing? So, are you saying that the night to be much observed is, is a legitimate observation? A legitimate Absolutely. Not necessarily a holiday, but an observation. It's actually the beginning of the holiday. The evening after sunset is the beginning of the first day of unleavened bread. So it is a holy day. It's just two different meanings. Passing over means passing over. That's the 14. I can't speak for Brother Armstrong, but I think that... Uh, Me neither. Not, not a figment of his imagination, but I think he didn't, uh, wasn't able to explain the New Testament Passover versus the Old Testament Passover. So well, that's what some of us so, as Jan's pointing out, rather than look at Exodus, let's go right back to Genesis where the covenant took place and it takes You know, people say that, you know, like people when they make arguments, they say, let's go to the first Passover, right? So I says, okay, we end up at different places. People go to Exodus chapter 12 and say, no, no, let's go to 15. And people are shocked. They say, what do you mean? I says, listen, there are words that connect here. And as later, as I'm going to show you, it's not me that I did the calculations of years. There's a secular, not secular people, I apologize. The people who actually try to defend the word of God from the Protestant environment. They try to find the years and timeline and date some events in the Bible. For 130, 400 years, you will see where it's going to end up. Exactly at the place when I'm speaking about. I didn't even know about it. Yes, Brother Bob. Sir, towards the end of the Passover day. Yes, sir. Twenty-seven forty-five. see the Roman soldiers, everybody, great fear came upon them. 
And they just realized that, hey, we probably crucified the Son of God. Passover day. Everybody okay? Please go home and study it. I, it gives me great joy when I, when I see something like that. Great encouragement. Now, as I mentioned... Yes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yes, sir. Not unless you're leaving bondage. You're escaping from bondage. You're leaving. Where? That's right. So what are you saying? I'm saying that the 15th is not a high day. And at the same time, as they're leaving Egypt, they're traveling, they're carrying the bones of Joseph, so that makes them ceremonially unclean. So, so my comment is, who are we to proclaim what? Proclaim what? We'll go there. We'll go there. So just hold, hold, still hold your thought. We'll move on to something else. And then we'll come back at the end to discuss it, right? But we'll go there to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23. But now, as I mentioned to you at the beginning, right? Some scripture says 400 years. Some scripture says 430 years. What's the big deal? So some people heard the explanation. Some people said it's just, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, the writers of the Bible, just, they just try to round up the number, right? So if I can see the difference between sundowns and sun going down and, and all these things, and God is so specific when it comes to the hours of the day, I just don't buy this argument that, you know, just round it up. 30 years, who cares about 30 years? Just take away 30 years of my life, who cares? It's just 30 years, right? It's not true. So let's see, I'll show you all the scriptures that, you know, might, might seem that they contradict. They might contradict, you know, one another. So Exodus chapter 12, or Genesis where are you now? In Genesis or Exodus? Genesis. So Genesis chapter 15. Let's start there. So here in verse 13 it says that 400 years. It says, and he said to Abraham, no, certainly the descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. And it says, then they will afflict them 400 years. Now we go to Exodus chapter 12. 
Exodus chapter 12. And let's go to verse 40 again. And in this case, he says, Now the surgeon of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. Now hold your place here. Go to book of Acts chapter 7. And here, Stephen gives a beautiful sermon here. But in verse 6, book of Acts chapter 7. And in verse 6, he's saying, But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. So we should say, 2 to 1 now, right? Let's go to another one. Let's go to Galatians. That's the last one. Galatians chapter 3. Now we have Apostle Paul. And here in verse 17. Apostle Paul in verse 17. And this I say. That the law which was 430 years later. Cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. So we have two, two. 400, 400, 430, 430. You know, is there any difference? It says, you know, how can you, it doesn't matter. So now the question comes, how long do, how long the Israelites in Egypt, in Egyptian bondage? How long were the Israelites in Egyptian bondage? Go to Exodus chapter 12. So the same passage that we actually read it here. And if you have a Bible, a study Bible, in verse 40, we have a study Bible. Then here by Egypt, I have a letter 1. Do you have it in your Bible? What's the meaning here? So in my Bible, it gives you that Samaritan Pentateuch and Septuagint read Egypt and Canaan. So it's not just about Egypt, but it's also about Canaan. So when you're talking about 400, 430, it's not just the time that the Israel spent in Egypt. It's talking about the whole time, and we're going we're gonna to find it soon. Your projector ready? If you will go, if you try to go backwards from, from Exodus chapter 12 all the way there to Genesis, or from Genesis, it's easier, it's easier to go from Genesis to the Exodus. It depends which part you start, you're going to get 400 or 430. For example, if you go backwards from Exodus 430 years, you're going to, you know, from Exodus 1240, you would go, and we would end up exactly in Genesis with God made the covenant 430 years. But God made the covenant with him, with Abraham. If you're going to count from Egyptians Exodus 400, 400 years, you're going to end up in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8 and 9. Genesis chapter 21. If you, if you can open your Bible and you can read it. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8. Let's start there. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abram made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was, was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptians, whom she had born to Abraham. And then from that time will be 400 years. That's where the persecution of the children of Israel started. Now, when we think of children of Israel, what is the first thing that comes into your mind? What, what, what goes in your head? We think about Jacob, right? 
Jacob and his 12 sons. But we have to remember, Jacob didn't get this promise. Abraham did. Jacob is not the father of Israelites. Abraham is. That's the original promise that was made. Not to Jacob. Original promise was made to Abraham. Now, I want you to look at this. This is not me. I didn't do all the calculations. And I'm not going to go through details because it will take us another hour. But if you need a copy, I, I think I have a few copies here by myself. I can give it to somebody. If you need it, speak to Daniel. He'll send you an email. He will, you can Google it. But basically, people, some people did all these calculations. So we see 430 on the, on the right hand. And everything from starting for all the patriarchs, we come the ages from 75 to 85, and all the details that you can see. It. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. And that will be 11 years from the promise, and it's counting on. And then you have Abraham 105 years when Isaac is 5. It's 400 years when you come to Egyptian bondage. Now, how long were Israelites in Egypt? 215 years. Not 400 years, 215 years. And you can prove it. Daniel can send you the sheets. You can go through all this thing. It's not my calculation. But you know, you will see that Bible gives you enough time that we see when Abraham spent 10 years in Canaan. It gives you another date that you can see and calculate the dates. When Joseph was born. When you go through all these details, line by line. So please, take the sheets. Ask and go home on your own time. And I can even give you a website. It's one of the Christian apologetic sites that try to give the chronology to the timing through the Old Testament, right? So this is not my innovation. It's not me trying to deceive you when it comes to the time. That's what they produce. And they don't even have idea what Genesis 15 is all about. These people don't even celebrate Passover. They try to prove that the Bible is right, that the timing is right when you start to counting all of these things. This is how wonderful it is. I have few copies I can share. Who wants who wants to have a paper copy? Yeah, I can give you a website. I believe it. I was. I don't remember what the website exactly was, but I have one more copy. If anyone wants. I prefer the older generation. Hey, Jan, are you, are you taking into consideration the 40 years in the wilderness, too, for that timing? Everything is there. Everything is there. 40, 40 years in the wilderness, that they, they, they're not under Egyptian bondage. Right, right. That's right after. On the night of Imaj observe Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, that's where it says exactly to the same, self same day, yeah. they walk away. In verse 16, though, it says, in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Here meaning Canaan? That's what Abraham was, where the covenant happened. But, but four generations, shouldn't it be more than four generations? Or, or is a generation back then 100 I years? I don't want to argue about the generations, because yeah. some people say it's 100 years, some people say 40 yeah. years, some people say 50 years, right? Yeah. So different definition for... It just seems like it. Yeah. So, you can, you can request it, so whoever wants to, Daniel will send it to you. But now, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. As I mentioned at the beginning... Our God is powerful God. And you know, God gave us all these examples so we, we could have more faith of who He is, that He is a God of, of word. When He makes a promise, there is no something that things happen along the way that He cannot perform that promise. 
And you know, I think that's why I believe that all these events happen, all these major events, all these events happen on the God's holy time. So we can look back and see how wonderful our God is. Exodus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. I'm always one step ahead in my mind then. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 23. And look here in verse 1. Just speaking about the holy time. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. They are not Jewish feasts. They are not Catholic feasts. There are no Protestant feasts, Baptist feasts, whatever you want to put here. These feasts are his specific feast. And God is very specific. Where we should keep his feast? Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to go there too. See verse 4. He's very so specific here. He says, these are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocation. We shall proclaim at any time. When you shall proclaim them? At their appointed time. Verse 5. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord Passover. It's not on the 15th. It's on the 14th. On the 15th, verse 6. On, on verse 6. On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of the leavened bread to the Lord. And goes on and on for every single specific holidays. God gives us specific instructions. 14 is 14. It can be 14 when you celebrate on 15. When you celebrate after sunset, after 14, it can be 14. That's 15. Go back to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Just chapters before the Exodus actually happened. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. They may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, before we can get, have a feast, let's go to Exodus chapter, chapter 12. We have to make sure that our calendar is going to align with God's calendar. Exodus chapter 12. Just before the Appropriate time of day that this happened. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, Before we're going to celebrate this great feast, this Passover, we have to figure out something here. This month, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. And he says, speak to all the congregation, saying, On the 10th of this month, and he gives us precise uh, instructions how to keep the day. First is the first of the month. From this day, from the first of the day, you start counting. When it comes to the 10th day, that's where you pick the lamb. You still keep counting to the 14th and to the 15th and to the 21st. And to the 21st. Now, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. You're almost coming to the end here. Luke chapter 22. If Melchizedek was the priest of the God Most High, he definitely understood fully timing. When to do things when. Verse 14. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, and you can, look, you, can look, you can look in your, if you have an electronic device, you can look at this word, hour. You can check it, what it means in Greek. If you don't have this access, then I can read it to you. It's just the Greek word, which is hora, H-O-R-A, which means a, cert, a certain defined time of season fixed by natural law and returning with the revolving Year. It's not just about it was getting dark when the hour had come. It said exactly the timing that this is a Passover. This is a time where we should celebrate. When the hour had come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him, and he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
What date is it? It's easily proven from the New Testament that this thing doesn't, didn't happen on the 15th. This thing happened on the 14th. I'm not going to go through all this thing, you know. It's easy to... Now let's go to 1 Corinthians. The last scripture. Today here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It would be nice to all of us to get a personal instruction from Jesus Christ. But we are not so blessed. But here Apostle Paul was blessed. And now look what he's writing to the Corinthians, verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which, was, in which he was betrayed, which night he was betrayed? On the 15th or on the 14th? On the 14th, right? The same night he was betrayed, he took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, not the resurrection, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's why you observe Passover and we don't observe Easter. So, brethren, the reason why I, you know, I like to speak about Passover, I like to speak about God's holidays because they give me faith. They give me assurance. And I wanted to share with, with you, you know, like, if you can go and prove through the book of this Bible, this thick book of the Bible, then you can look at this and prove the timing of it. You can prove the years of it. This just give me confidence who my God is. I have this extra faith. I have this extra excitement going on in me. I know that on something, on Sunday, in two weeks, that we're going to be here all together as a family. I know that I'm going to be part of something that God preordained during the creation of this world. And I'm, I, I'm just so happy. I'm so excited that I'm part. I am actually taking part in God's plan. I'm not against it. I'm not opposing. I'm with God. God on the same plane. And he tells me that God is in full control. He's in charge. No matter what's happening to the society, no matter what's happening to Canada, no matter what's happening to us personally, God is in full control. And God is specific about his timing. He's very specific. When he's 14, he's 14. When he's 15, he's 15. When he's the first man of the of the year, who is the seventh month of the year, he is very specific about the timing. And we all know that on this specific timings of the years, on these holidays, he performed great miracles. Great miracles. Passover night. Days of unleavened bread. You can count on and on and on. Astounding miracles. So I'm over an hour here. Final thoughts, final comments before we finish it. When God says, these are my feasts, no, yeah, these are my feasts. So if you belong to God, then these feasts belong to you, too. When God says, these are my feasts, and if you belong to God... And these feasts belong to you. In that sense, yes. But I can't claim that those are my feasts. No, I'm here because God gave me those feasts. That's his, his time, his feast. When we say belong to, we mean we are... If we belong to God, we, we are
So thank you, brother, for listening. And enjoy the holidays. It's coming soon. So we have a lot of things to do to work out. Thank you for being so patient. And I know it's been a long day, but we had a great food. But thank you for your attention. Probably there is, but we need to find out. At least we know it. What is it, Genesis 14 or 15? When the first time is mentioned that I give you this light for Moedin, yeah, 14, Genesis 1 14. And it's specifically related to God's feast. That's just to tell the difference what's spring and what's summer. Not there yet. You know, definitely when, 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 when God kills the first enemy to, you know, make their God's covering for them because they make, they made Adam and make their own covering from the leaves. And God says, uh-uh, I'll give you the skin of animals to cover yourself. Maybe that was the first Passover in the Bible where human being for the first time experienced what it means for an animal to die for you and for your sins. It would just make perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. But we can prove it. Yeah, there's way much, much there in Genesis that we, that we know. But encouraging, I encourage everybody to study. Study the scriptures for us, and God give us for we so we know. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.